श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय श्री गोविंद तरंग की जय तो सत्यबंध की जय बहुत प्रेम आनंद the significance of the order of the names in the Maha Mantra. I've heard you hint at it and others hint at it, but uh, if you could say something more about that. Significance of the order of the names? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that um, you refer to the Maha Mantra, Nam Mantra. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare Hare, Ram Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. I think that uh, probably the main maybe there's a, a controversy about that. Hmm? That uh, what, what comes to my mind uh, when you ask the question, and that being that. Um, I believe perhaps in the Upanishads, maybe uh, in the Kali Santarana Upanishad, there the question arises as to the method, spiritual methodology that would be most efficacious in the Kali Yuga in the time of... um, Kali represents hypocrisy and, and so forth, and there are different opinions about those uh, time cycles and opinions of whether they exist at all. But, but um, from the scriptural uh, perspective, um, going to the Upanishad, as I am, uh, is asked, what is the most efficacious means uh, for uh, deliverance? In Kali Yuga, it's also thought that these texts, these scriptural texts, the Upanishads, uh, are like uh, kind of uh, like laws of nature, if you will, embedded hmm, that manifests in, in literary form at the at the at the uh, time of. Of the quality of the time, if you will. Time is often thought of as a quantitative measurement, but um, the sacred texts speak more of a quality. It's like there's a quality of time in the morning, there's a different quality of time in the evening, and so forth. So the Kali Yuga is a particular quality of time. And the whole text, really, all of them are really about quality, much more than quantity. Modern societies... Um, very much to do with quantity. The only things that are real in the primary sense are weight, depth, length, and so forth. Hmm? Um, For example, red, your experience of red is a qualitative experience. Hmm? That's thought to be, at best, something secondary, if, quote-unquote, real, at all. What's real, it's thought, are, as far as red goes, certain photons and it's all quantitative. I don't know what, what the constitutional physical makeup, if you will, of red is. But the physical makeup of red, this much light, this, I don't want to say color, because, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, uh, the experience of red, which far outweighs the physical um, components that correspond with the subjective experience of red. Hmm? Um, in, in modern science, for the most part, the the quantitative aspect is the is real. Hmm? and primary, and any subjective 
um, quality that is also identified with the thing is, is secondary and ultimately um, not real in the full sense of the term. Hmm? So the sacred texts have take a very different, uh, a very different perspective on that. The opposite one, really, that the qualitative experiences, eh, well, experiences, they are of, quali- of, a, of, a, of a qualitative nature. <laughs> that, uh, as I said before, if I was to be asked what was the most profound thing that I've experienced, I would say, in one sense, in an overarching sense, and I think it holds true for all humans, is the fact that we experience which is very extraordinary, and which is, again, is, is, is qualitative. Um, there's uh, physical things don't have qualitative experiences. The attempt to reduce qualitative experiences to the physical has um, not met with, been met with success in the scientific uh, community. It's a, it's a, it's a, what do you say, conundrum? Is that how you say? Conundrum. 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 <laughs> how, how, everything's supposed to be physical. From a materialistic point of view, modern science is led primarily by materialistic leanings or interpretations of data. Hmm? And... Um, and so, uh, the text, the sacred texts, in which are all about quality, hmm? rather than about uh, uh, um, quantity. This is its whole emphasis that the, the self is a unit of that has a, a, a subjective reality that uh, has subjective experiences and the world of matter and the objective world is um, really derived from that. So it's a consciousness driven picture and reality. So when we talk about time, Kali Yuga, it's talking about the Yuga cycles, it's talking about a certain quality of time. And it's thought that uh, that at different times, relative to their quality, there will be methodologies that will be more or less efficacious in terms of experiencing the reality of the subjective world, that I'm a unit of that, that I'm consciousness, not matter, and what my prospect is. I'm trying to feel out and experience my prospect as a unit of subjectivity in relation to the objective world, and it's not working out. I feel that the world should be bigger and more accommodating, and there should be more possibilities and so forth. There are, but they ally in the subjective world that, that I'm a, which I'm a unit of. I'm trying to find myself and realize my potential in relation to the objective world. This is the problem. So, at any rate, that said, um, during the quality of time if you will, we call Kali, then the Supanishad makes the point. And this is throughout all the texts in the Puranas and the, um, all the sacred texts of India, the Hindus, um, make this proclamation. It's quite, uh, and the Upanishad says that. It says, Narada asks Brahma, what will be most efficacious as a means of deliverance in the Kali Yuga? And he says, Iti sodasakam nana kalikal nashanashanam. These sixteen names, it is sorasakam. Sorasakam means sixteen. Kali Kalmashanashnam. The the influence of Kali Nashanam will be destroyed, by which then one will be delivered from material existence. It is sorasakam namam Kali Kalmashanashnam. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare 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 Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Sarbabade Shudrishite. And and all that this is proclaimed throughout the Veda. So you can go and look in all the different texts and so forth, and you find this kind of um, emphasis. So, there, in that Upanishad, uh, 
I, I believe that the the order of the names given is Hare Ram, Hare Ram, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, which is the opposite of the order that I just cited it, which we are more accustomed to uh, citing it. So, um, there is a controversy then as to the order of the, the names and whether you chant in the right order, whether you will get the desired results, because the Shruti mantra has been uh, uh, stated as such with Hare Ram first. Hmm? And uh, the Shruti mantras are very particular and, and uh, so forth. But that would be, um, on the one hand, to equate the recitation of the names of God with the Vedic mantra, Shruti mantra. They are that, not that in the technical sense. Uh, they are, we call it a Nam mantra. Hmm? But there is no, in the Hare Krishna mantra, there's no, there's no petition. Um, yeah, it is not in the vocative, it's not in the, the dative case, it's all in the vocative case, and so on. So, um, it's not really a mantra in, 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 that, in that sense. Which, which mantras are surrounded by certain um, uh, rules and regulations, when to chant, when not to chant, which way to face, and so on and so forth. Mm. But um, this is not the case, the name of God. So these are just three names of God arranged in 16 mm, utterances. And... Um, And the order hmm, is really of no significance in this sense, in that this mantra is to be chanted anytime, anywhere. Chaitanya Dev, who has formed a Nam Dharma, if you will, taking the spirit principle and then making a kind of a religious or spiritual practice out of it, honing that, uh, encourages followers to chant, and he said it the other way. But um, uh, so some people say, well, he said it that way, so that because everybody can't chant the Vedic mantras, there are certain qualifications that are required. So he reversed the order so that everybody could chant. But this is not a very good argument, really. Uh, the real argument is the order doesn't doesn't in this sense I'm talking about doesn't matter, hmm? and 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 the the idea, of course, as he taught, was kirtaniya sadahari. This should be chanted always, any time, any place, any circumstance, and so forth. So, um, it implies a circularity. Ongoing, it's going around like this. Hmm? Um, if you chant a certain mantra, there's an order and there's a time, hmm? and you chant it at that time at the sundium, at the dawn, at the noon, at the evening, for example. Hmm? Um, but This isn't the case with the name of God. One can utter the name of God anyone, anywhere, anytime. One doesn't need any particular qualification um, to uh, to utter the name of God. And God has many names. So, the uh, the chanting is done over and over again and the idea goes round and round and it goes round and what's first, Hare Rama, Hare Krishna, you know, it doesn't really matter. Hmm? You keep chanting and which is first and which is last is really not a, not an issue. Hmm? Um, and this is the teaching. Jayam Sada Satyam Param Dimahi as Bhagavatam says. This is a 
plural advocacy of meditation on the absolute truth, the, the method for which. Mm-hmm. And as I say, that it's said to be most efficacious in the time is the, the chanting of the names of God. These names have been mentioned Hari, Krishna, and Ram in particular. Now, that's an, an, another interesting discussion why those particular names, but, but the idea that the names have to be chanted in a particular order with Hare Ram first or Hare Krishna first is to misunderstand and misidentify the names themselves with a Vedic mantra per se. They're, they're kind of like more than a Vedic mantra. Guru Goswami wrote a, a beautiful uh, uh, poem, Namastakam, there he says, Nikila Shruti the Shruti, the statements, the mantras, Tattvam Masi, Aham Brahmasmi, Neti Neti, these like sounds of the Upanishads that are like cones that you hear and try to introspect on and so forth. So these are like valuable jewels, but jewels have light, brilliance to them. And they're all pointing in the direction of this one sound, Krishna. Hmm? Most efficacious. Hmm. Mahaprabhu Shetitana said, Shrotam api upanishadam dure harikatam That which where you that which you can arrive at by um, contemplating and uttering the sounds of the Upanishads, like Tatvamasi and so forth. Um, they leave one far from where one can arrive at by Harikatha, by invoking the names of Hari, Krishna, so forth. Then he goes on to say what will happen as a result. And he mentions the Satvikabhavas, Asta Satvikabhava, transformations of ecstasy, which is just one aspect of the world of Bhavan and Leela, the world of ecstasy. So, so this, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference between the Vedic mantra and the, and the chanting of Hare Krishna, even though Hare Krishna is mentioned in the Veda and, and recommended. Uh, and, um, and said to be most efficacious. So, um, and in that sense, the argument about order, as I'm thinking about it, when you ask, maybe something else you're thinking about that I haven't addressed, but um, is uh, is kind of a an argument that's not based on a real good understanding of of uh, the uh, nature of the uh, utterance of the names of God. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of course, said a nice thing. He said, Nam Namakadi Bhavudani Vishaya Bhachatish Tatarapita Niyami Tasmana Ninakala Eta Dishita Vokiva Bhagavan Mahapido Dhyava Mudishami Hadi Namurag. He said, There are Nam Namakadi Bhavudani, there are many names of God. Nam Namakadi Bhavudani Vishaya Bhachatish filled with his Shakti. So when he says many, but then he qualifies, he's filled with his shakti. He's speaking about a certain type of name. So there are secondary and primary names of God. There are secondary names are names of God in relation to the to the natural world, to the objective world, like creator, the maintainer, the controller, um, Ishwa. Um, Paramatma and so forth Um, these are secondary names because the objective world the natural world the world of our sensual um, really mental and intellectual experience as much as our mind is absorbed in in matter um, is not the main stage. The main stage, as I often say, is the subjective world. The natural world is driven somehow by consciousness. 
driver is more important than the car. So, uh, so the subjective world is is the real world, real world of possibility. Hmm? The objective world is like a shadow of the of the light, if you will. So. So those names that that describe the Godhead in relation to functions of this world are secondary. Those names that describe the Godhead in Leela. Hmm? Leela is the realm of the subjective world. Leela is a kind of movement, hmm? as karma is a kind of a movement. Karma means action. Hmm? Leela means play. Hmm? Actions have reactions. Hmm. Karma is action that's reactionary, and it's action that follows reactions in a chain, properly understood. And so it speaks about obligatory work. Hmm. I've sown certain seeds, and now certain fruits have come and I've got to digest them. That's my work. Um, so, Leela, on the other hand, means play and there's no reaction attached to it. Karma comes from a position of weakness. Leela comes from a position of power, strength. In other words, karma, action in this world, arises out of a sense of necessity that I need something. I have to get something. If I don't acquire something, my existence will be uh, in, in question or in danger. I have to hunt and I have to gather, for example. Um, and on so many levels, according to the measure of our attachment to matter, we think we need things in order to thrive, we need to acquire. So there's a weakness, there's a necessity, there's a lacking in me, and so I'm moving to make up for the lacking. So karma is action that derives from a weakness, a perceived weakness. Hmm? But lila is movement that derives from power, hmm? not from a weakness, but from fullness. Hmm? Having understood the differences between myself and matter and having no necessities, materially speaking, hmm? other than, for example, for a practitioner, basic necessities required in the practicing body to practice, hmm? which is all about um, experiencing the more that we are that's not dependent upon matter and so forth. And the more we experience that, then less anything matters to us of, of the world. So we come to a position of strength. We have no needs, no wants. We're fulfilled within. So this is a this is a strong position, not a weak position. And the more we become filled, if you will, in what it is to be an atma, and an atma or a particle of consciousness in relation to the source of consciousness, a spark in relation to the fire. The more we have power, we're in, we're in a strong position. Do you follow me? So Leela ensues from a position of strength. Karma ensues from a position of weakness. So I'm so full that I want to celebrate that. Hmm? Not that I'm moving because I have to, but I have to in another way because it's I'm so full, I have to say, I'm full. So different types of movement, one out of weakness, one out of strength. So to move in that world in relation to our, to the God and to our source, ultimately this kind of movement is called Leela. And this is the main stage then. The objective world is not the main stage. Mm. This, is the, this is in the shadows, so to speak. 
It's as if, it's if the if 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 the Godhead was painting a picture on the easel, and every now and then he had to change colors. So he had another easel over here, just went like this, wiped off the brush. No. This is the real painting here. This is the this is the, the other one, and it's wonderful in itself. It's extraordinary. It speaks about his wonder. Hmm? And the wonder that we are as units of experience, qualitative experience, hmm? with the possibility that, that knows no no limits, hmm? because we have a different nature than matter, which is all the forms of which are here today and gone tomorrow, hmm? so on and so forth. So the world, the subjective world, is the main stage. And so there are names of the Godhead in relation to his movement within the subjective world. Leela. These names, therefore, there are many, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was speaking about them, Nam Namakari Bahudani Desarab Shakti, full of all kind of Shakti. Power. That means that the Godhead has Brahman, the Absolute is a name for the Absolute. Brahman. It's kind of like the ineffable, the Great One. The Great One. The Great One is, is um, I want to say, uh, singular, but diverse at the same time. A singular being, diverse in nature. Hmm? So, we give an example fire. Let's say God is fire, just to use an example. Okay. Now, at the same time, fire has heat and light, fire has sparks, fire has smoke. Where there's smoke, there's fire, that's thought. <laughs> so, this means that the fire is one, but it's diverse in nature. There's a fire, and the fire generates heat. The fire generates light. The fire generates sparks and smoke. It's all the fire... There's no smoke without fire. No sparks without fire. No heat and light without fire. They're all one, but there's it's a it's a it's a it's a diverse in nature singularity. Hmm? You follow me? Mm-hmm. So in this analogy, then the Godhead is the fire, the energetic, and it has energies. How can, it, how can an energetic not have energies? What would be the meaning of an energetic, powerful, without powers? Hmm? You talk about them, it's like being exists. Well, of course it does, but... By a power, it exists. Something, uh, it's a, kind of a power is implied. So a power is implied in the powerful, obviously. So these are the powers then, let's say, of the fire. It has heat and light. The power to heat and light. And we could take the heat of the fire. Hmm? It has the power to generate sparks which are just like itself, but minute. The spark is nothing but fire. But it's different from fire, too. Because you can't cook with a spark. You can't heat yourself with a spark. But it's only fire. And smoke is also one of the powers of fire. And it's like almost like the opposite of fire. Right? Hmm. If 
fire lights and smoke clouds the picture. By hmm? the light of the fire we can see by the smoke, we get lost. Hmm? But nonetheless, there's no smoke without fire. Where there's smoke, there's fire. So in this analogy, the smoke is the, is the objective world of matter. And the p- picture is clouded. Hmm? But we have this sense being a spark ourselves. Although we're kind of floating in the smoke, we have the sense that there's that wherever there's smoke, there must be fire. Hmm? What we're looking for, hmm? that we're a spark of, hmm? we're looking for it in relation to the smoke. Hmm? There's a sense that there's more than, than the smoke. There's more than the smoke. I'm more than the smoke, I think. <laughs> and there must be more than me. So, so maya shakti is compared to the smoke. And the jiva shakti, ourselves, units of consciousness, are compared to the spark. And the heat and the light... These are compared to, to the, the Surup Shakti. These are the Shakti that these names, primary names, are filled with. They speak about the Godhead's movement in relation to the sparks, the union between them, the dynamic union. You can, it's more easy to separate in your mind smoke from fire and sparks, well, they're different and, and one, they're kind of on both sides. And heat and light, it's very hard to separate the heat and light from the fire. Hmm? But still, it's easier to separate the smoke in your mind than heat and light from the fire. So this heat and light is the sarup shakti. It means it's a, it's a shakti that governs the power, that governs the internal subjective world of, of lila. Hmm? And so names that uh, speak about the Godhead in relation to this power, this Shakti, these are primary names. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu these are very powerful. Mm-hmm. Names in relation to the smoke, yeah, they don't have the same power to illumine. Mm-hmm. They have some power, certainly, but not the same power. So he's concerned in his Nam Dharma taking this idea that the chanting of the name is most efficacious in the quality of time, we call Kali, hmm? then um, he's looked at it very carefully. And of course we see the result in him by chanting the names, what kind of transformations he underwent and so forth. It's extraordinary in the history of, of the uh, human society, religious figures. There's no figure that embodies more ecstasy of the love of God. It's very extraordinary and chronicled by many thinkers of the time. And so it's a very objective statement. But And all this from the name, but from honing a principle that is, that is universally accepted amongst um, religious traditions that the name of, there's a name of, there's a logos, and it's sacred, it has power, inherent power. Hmm? So he's taken this principle and it, it's, it comes from the Upanishads. It's found in other, other cross-culturally other scriptures and he's honed that idea. Hmm? And, and he's determined there are, there are secondary names, there are primary names. This is there. So it's a whole dharma of the name. Hmm? And so from that point of view, all names are not equal. Hmm? Um, but these names, Hari, Krishna, Ram, hmm? that he's... He primarily recommended the chanting of. Um, they're all um, primary names. He says about them, Nam Nama Kari Bhavadadi Disarvashtra They can be chanted anywhere, anytime, any place. There are no rules that surround the, the chanting. Like I said earlier, there are rules that surround the chanting of different mantras. Hmm. Um, so they're very, very generous. Hmm. 
there are these in, in Holland, as I say, in the vocative case, and so forth. So, um, so these 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 uh, these names have been selected. We've seen other names also, also primary names. He said there are many, but but this is our main non uh, mantra, if you will, and and it's not necessarily in order. In another sense, then, um, in the Mahamantra of names, we have Hare, Krishna, and Rama. In one sense, the Krishna and Rama are surrounded on all sides by Hare. Hmm. So, <laughs> this is uh, another idea. Uh, that it's uh, it's uh, sometimes thought of as a Sambhog mantra, a mantra of names chanted for bringing about the union of Krishna. with Radha who, who can be um, uh, found in the vocative Hare the vocative of, of Hari which is a name for God which means who takes away who hmm, steals the heart of the devotee is the idea the vocative of Hari is Hare but the vocative of, of Hara is also Hare, and Hara speaks of the Shakti, so some theologians, the reason, devotees, reason, and Hare represents Radha. It can be both. But from the point of view of a, from Madhurasa, those involved with the romantic love, then it can be of Krishna, and it can be seen like this, bringing together the Radha and Krishna, this idea. Krishna's Radha's handmaidens are preoccupied with that. Some of Krishna's friends also preoccupied with that. So, from that perspective, then Ram will be another name for Krishna. If you make Hari, you name Hare, the name for Hari, the vocative for Hari, then Ram can also mean Ram, Mal Ram. Um, there are some different interpretations, conceptualizations. Some of one, some of the other. It's also possible. <laughs> oh, does that help your answer your question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The overriding point is there is there is no um, first or last or order. Hmm? In, in, in it, that there's no rules for chanting um, like there are in relation to other mantras therefore it's it said uh, you can chant in your sleep even while eating Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was concerned at one point it's described because his tongue kept uttering the names of Krishna and it wouldn't stop it was so much affected his heart that the name was constantly on his tongue, dancing on his tongue. And so when he would go to answer the call of nature, this is not a place to meditate. In the bathroom, it's not the place you pick to meditate and worship and, and so forth. <laughs> so he was concerned that I'll be, my, my, it's a problem, my tongue is invoking the names of God. So he was told, by one devotee, Gopal Guru, was some famous Gopal, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu called him Gopal Guru, because he, he told him, no, with this chanting, you can do any time, any place. So through his own student, this this came out, something like that. Mm-hmm. This is the extremity of it, if you will. Therefore it's said in Bhagavad even while sleeping, while eating, mm-hmm. chanting will not go in vain, whereas this is not the case with all all mantras. So in that sense, it's broad and generous and, and not uh, rule-laden. And the, the, the vocative case is a kind of a... It's a, like loving, like... Hmm. Oh, Krishna! Hmm. Something like that. Hmm. 
Leela. It's it's a world of play, not of rules. Play and all possibilities reside in play. It's a very it's a it's a world of spontaneity. Spontaneity, not of calculation. Here, there's a world of calculation. We think before we do. Hopefully, if we calculate, if I do, will be good? I will go here. There, movement is all spontaneous. There's no need for thinking. It's beyond thought. The heart has come out. I've seen the homeland. Homeland of the heart. And when you're home, you don't have to ask any questions. It's a loving atmosphere. Your mother brings, says, eat, you eat. You don't say, what's in it? Let me look at the label. So, because you're at home. So, head is a foreign thing. Heart is the home. Head is a protective agency. You might listen, then I'll let that in or not. And so forth. So you have to capture the intellect, f- f- freeze it, then you can go do heart surgery. Mm-hmm. Give the heart somewhere. Mm-hmm. There's a world of such, and therefore it's not head driven, heart driven. Mm-hmm. And we, in our practice, we use our head, we use our reason, but we use our head. To soften our heart. People think, oh, he's got a soft heart, he doesn't have a head. People think like that. Soft heart means no head. But the soft heart has the capacity to make the head stop and rethink what it's doing, <laughs> what's what's worth thinking about. Because we make the calculations in the, in the head as to what's possible and what's not. Often, I'm just giving a material example. Maybe the heart overrides, and somebody does something that was contradicted the numbers, the math. And we have to admit there's always a possibility. Always a possibility. Something could happen that runs contrary to the head, to the calculation. Something can happen. That's where things really happen. <laughs> that little hole there, that little, little, little place, we have to go through there into a world of all possibilities. The head's not required there. The head is required only to think how can I best serve Krishna? at any instance. Not whether I should serve or not. The doubting mind. Reason ruled is to to proceed with caution. So that subjective world is not like, it's not a proceeding with caution, there's spontaneity there. The identification with the Absolute is so overwhelming as it is in love that one doesn't see a difference between oneself and the Godhead. So the desire, the senses of Krishna and their satisfaction becomes one's own satisfaction. Just as you spontaneously respond to your own sensual drives, unfortunately, (laughs) at, at times... And so you have to imagine like that. This is the spiritual world, like this, all spontaneously responding to the sensual, if you will, supersensual satisfaction of Krishna in Leela. So there's free movement, spontaneous. The head's not getting in the way. It's it's not the arbitrator. Reason is not. And this is the reasonable that there's something that, that transcends reason. Hmm. And when we see it, like I say, I go small, I'm giving material examples, speaking about examples in the material world, and 
by reason it was not possible, but somehow they won the game, or he did this, or she did that. Hmm. How is it possible? And then we think, miracle. No, there must be a reason. <laughs> we haven't thought of it yet. Hmm. Something like that. Hmm. But uh, this is what excites the world, is what these, 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 these moments in which the head is transcended, if you will, is what makes the world worth being in. Hmm? Isn't it? Hmm? Those are the stories that I guess hopeful. Hmm? Save life from being boring and all figured out. Hmm? Yeah, these are just glimpses as to what the subjective world is all about, what its nature is, and so forth. Hmm. Just semblances of that. They have such an impact here. Hmm. They speak to us as the limitations of the head, of reasoning, of, of the mass, of, well, of, of, of the quantitative measurement. Maya means to measure. Hmm. So, we're trying to measure, calculate everything, be in control in this way. That's an illusion. Therefore, Maya means illusion also. And this Hare Krishna means I stop measuring, calculating, something like that. And eventually, then it, the result of the chant is we can enter into that subjective world of play and all possibilities and move out of position in position of power rather than the position of weakness. Hmm. And so the Mahamantra, the chanting of Hare Krishna, in all the evocative cases, very much goes with this, the nature of that world. Hmm. Therefore, you see, this kirtan, as Mahaprabhu gave it, as the Upanishad gives it, is, uh, is as, a, as a method hmm, to a madness if you will, it is both the method and the madness. So, the in the play of Krishna Lila, there's no meditation. You understand? There's no sitting. They're not sitting and meditating. They're trying to attain something by a mantra at which time the mantra's efficacy will have been realized and is no longer necessary. Hmm? But they're chanting, singing, Oh Ram, 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 Mahaba, oh, you find in the depictions of the Leela and so forth. Hmm? So this chanting in the vocative case it still has its place there. Hmm? Other Vedic mantras, they reach a point where their efficacy is realized, then they retire. That's not so with the names of God chanted in the vocative case. Oh, Hari, oh, Govinda. Hmm? It's like you love someone. Oh, and you hear their name, and you think of them. You say it out loud. There are no rules to this. There are no regulations to this. This is, this is you can say it and sing in the shower, as they say. <laughs> so... This is just, this is, therefore, Guru Ker Premodhan Harinam Samkirtan. He said, this chanting in Samkirtan, this method of chanting, it's imported. Guru Ker Premodhan Harinam Samkirtan. He's saying, this chanting has been imported from there. The wealth, it is the bearer of the wealth, the dhan of Prem, the wealth of love. That makes that world around. Love is is is, is the, the the power hmm, behind the movement. Here, in the karmic world, the movement is empowered by our sense of weakness, and and and, and it's a taking. Nothing belongs to us, but we think it does, and what we think is ours creates an I. What I think is mine has a corresponding sense of what I am. 
It's my country. I am American. My my and my I correspond. The problem with that I is that nothing is mine. Hmm? It's built on a false, false premise. Hmm? Falsity. And, and if nothing is mine, but I proclaim it to be mine, this is a taking. And love is about giving. Hmm? So the power there that I said, I said movement here is about a weakness. Um, a thief is always in a weak position. Hmm? No matter how much wealth he or she acquires, there's always a weak position. Hmm? Therefore I have to have guards and checkpoints and I have to I can't look forward all the time. I have to look back every now and then over my shoulder. Hmm? So there's a pervading kind of anxiety um, that, that accompanies all the taking and acquiring hmm, of uh, that which is which is not mine, the criminal activity, if you will. Hmm. Hmm. So it's a weak position and loving, giving. Without any, without any overt power, you see, by stealing, we can get all kinds of overt power. You have those guys like in Colombia, and they've got machine guns and guards and drug lords and so forth. And the whole thing. See all the power that's required <laughs> to make them peaceful. This big display of power is required, and checkpoints and. Who can you trust and so forth to be peaceful? I mean, this is, this is, I'm just giving examples of material existence. Hmm? And on the other side, you have your plods, the simple. Hmm? He was depicted as a boy, five years old, and this is the power of a five year old boy. But he has love, love of Krishna. Hmm? Krishna's friends just play, that's all. No fears. No anxieties. Hmm. What is the power of love, love, power in giving? Hmm. That's free movement. And this Mahamantra goes with this. Hmm. It's the very utterance of the name of God in evocative cases. Utterance of love. And there's the thinking behind it. Oh Hari, oh Krishna, oh Hari, oh Radha, oh Ram. <laughs> so, it's, it's uh, you know, we began talking about the order and the, the rules, so to speak, and, and speaking about it in a way as to say this is coming from a world beyond rules, beyond law. Love is beyond. Love knows no reason, for good reason. Hmm. That's not unreasonable, but the, the reason should be left off at a certain point. Hmm. Again, we don't live really for a reason. We live. We live. Life becomes meaningful, rewarding, and satisfying because. Sometimes it appears that something's beyond reason. That gives hope. <laughs> it's true. That gives hope to humanity. If you want to make humanity only reason-driven alone, so much is lost. So much is lost. Then you end up, then you end up with these, as I said earlier, really only quality, quantities, weight, distance, mass, velocity. That's reality. Meanwhile, forget the fact that somebody's calling them all those things. <laughs> Someone is naming them as such and valuing them. Hmm. So this unit of quality, qualitative experience, the self, 
it's pathetic sometimes to see how it can be um, so much suppressed by reason. Lose sight of itself. Reason against itself. The self can. That's better to call materialism, physicalism, naturalism. It's the craziest thing there is. A unit of subjective reality denying its subjectivity is that its subjectivity is primary. Or that it, that it, that it's even meaningful at all. You just didn't make the argument as an argument for meaning, for quality, for purposes. It's, uh, so, what else? Yes? Um, we were talking about time as qualitative rather than quantitative. And even though there's no specific time to chant the Maha Mantra, are there different qualities prominent within the mantra at different times of the day? Well, um, a couple of things to come to mind to address your question. There are certain qualities of the day or times, qualities of times of the day that may be more auspicious in general for for um, spiritual practice. Therefore, the Brahma Murta said, before the sunrise, hour and a half before the sunrise, this is very, this is the Brahma Murta, the Murta is the measurement of time. It's actually 45 minutes. The Murta, the Brahma the spiritual Murta. Hmm. It's something like that. So, while others are still asleep, then the spiritual person is awake and it's peaceful. So there are certain qualities of time that may be more more conducive in general. And then, then of course, the mantra itself—it's um, you know—it's it's sixteen. Half of sixteen is eight, <laughs> and. The pastimes of Krishna are eightfold. They're eightfold. So, generally, when the chanting is 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 mature, it will, it's accompanied by meditation, and meditates on, meditation on the different aspects of the lila. The, the eightfold lila is like an outline, a typical day in the life of Krishna, and so. Yeah, the chanting that's accompanying and energizing the meditation at different times will correspond with the Leela as the devotees experience it that in inwardly in meditation. Therefore, it may take on different meanings, if you will, at different times to some extent. Is that how? That's where the main thing in the beginning, that's where advanced devotees, the main thing is that the chanting, uh, we, we will take advantage of the idea that it's a time that's, that's conducive for chanting. I'll be there hmm? <laughs> at that Brahma Murta and be interested in taking the things out of the heart that I'm currently meditating on, preoccupied with, hmm? ego, sensibilities and so on and so forth and um, that's a meditation too where you want to be like uh, Kishore is always asking you know, how do you know that you know he always wants to know his motives and so forth I asked Kal Chandra once what is it that you like about living here the most he said because here people think about and it's conducive to thinking about why am I doing anything? What is my motive? And all, all the time and so forth. So this is a meditation also. In the beginning. Anything else? Yes? Um, 
In the Guardian of Devotion, Sri Maharaj was talking about first cleaning the slate of the heart and then surrendering. And knowing how that transition might happen. He said, clean the heart, then surrender? Yeah, he was um, grouping it all under Sharanagati. And he said, Sharanagati means like first cleaning the slate and then surrender. Uh, I never see that. It seems to me that the more correspond with one another. Mm. Um. Because Sharanagati is, uh, which is a word for surrender, as a method. So to be sixfold, and um, two of those, uh, two aspects of it, anukul, pratikul. So accept what's favorable, reject what's unfavorable for bhakti. Mm-hmm. And so that's obviously very much about cleansing the heart. Mm-hmm. Accept what's favorable, even though it might not be pleasing to my mind or senses. And, Conversely, I'll reject what's unfavorable, even if they are pleasing to my mind and senses. So I'm cleansing my 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 chitta. That's informing my actions based on impressions from the past that make me think this is pleasurable, this is not pleasurable. I get a new standard of what's happy and what's sad. If it pleases Krishna, it's happy. If it doesn't, it's sad. I get a new criterion and I start to function under that. So that's very much having to do with cleansing the chitta. And that is synonymous with Shanagati. So you might have read it wrong. Hmm? But first, cleanse the heart in, in the context of what we call Shanagati. Then, you clean the slate, then you can write on it. Hmm? So, Something like that. We explain it, then we write a story on it. That'll be your story in the subjective world. But meanwhile, you got to get rid of all the subjective baggage and identification. Then we can write on it. Are the six items of Sharanagati, are they progressive? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. No. That the the, the um, if they are in a sense, you know, it would be in the sense that there are um, what we call sarup lakshan, lakshan, primary and uh, principal and marginal characteristics of sharanagati. So the main what I mean by that, what it is positively and what it is negatively. It is this, and it is not that, kind of thing. So, principal and marginal. Hmm. So, the the, Srubhakshan of Sharanagati is accepting Krishna is my maintainer, Krishna is my protector. That's the center. Hmm. And in the context of that, we accept what's favorable, reject what's unfavorable, we cultivate humility, and so on and so forth. But that's not, you start here and go to the end. There's six aspects, five moods. Anukul, Pratikul. These go together with one mood of a promise, a vow. I make a promise. And there's the mood behind it. Christmas one maintains dependence. Krishna's my protective mood is confidence. Krishna Vishvas. Krishna will protect me. If you know you have a good protector, you feel confident. And uh, Dainya 
humility. Uh, that's a mood too. It's a it's an aspect and it's a mood. An apnic shape, karpani, kind of a resignation. Like an animal, as the example is put, it's put in the care of someone. So I put myself. That's a sharnagati. That you should do sharnagati, and from that position, engage in bhakti. Okay. Mahamantra Vidya, Jai, 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 Jai,